The Start On Demand. demand. How's it going, Greg? It's going just fine, Brett McGarry. How are you this morning? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Kind of scratching my head over this uh, police headquarters parking situation. I don't really know how to react to this. What's your reaction? My immediate reaction is if police officers off-duty or otherwise are feeling unsafe downtown, what does that say about overall safety in the downtown? Yeah. It's kind of horrifying, actually. Yeah. Well, you know, the Winnipeg Police Association, I have a lot of time for Mo Sabrin and for his members and for what they do for our community. But if, first of all, if someone is targeting police officers after hours, uh, don't you think they should be setting up some sort of sting operation to get these guys off the streets? Indeed, and we don't know if, like, the, I was wondering if, if that's what's happening here because they referred to in this uh, press release that they issued, they refer to how in December uh, last year, one an off-duty member was stabbed while leaving the headquarters building, and now under two months later, we have yet another serious incident, one where the suspect motioned to produce a weapon, which could have turned into a more serious situation, and then they note... They've documented over 100 incidents involving Winnipeg Police Association members and staff attending or leaving work, including the stabbing, serious assaults, threats, and sabotage to members' vehicles. Now, it doesn't say that the the, the members of the police association are being targeted, but that almost, just based on the language, it almost implies that because they are coming in and out of the, the public safety building that that's why they're being accosted in this way. So, as you pointed out, if if this is what's happening, if it's a rampant sort of attack on police officers, then you would think that there'd be some kind of a, a team set up to to put a stop to this. If someone's prepared to attack a Winnipeg police officer in or out of uniform, they've got bigger problems than the average criminal, and they yeah. need to be off the street yesterday. If this is just a random thing, then yeah, we have a really big problem downtown that we're not talking about. We try to talk about downtown safety, put it in perspective, look at statistics. But as I've been saying for years, perception is reality. And if people feel unsafe downtown, then downtown is unsafe. So what does it say when the head of the Winnipeg Police Union, essentially, uh, goes by another name, but that's what it is, comes out and says, our members are under constant attack because we don't have secure parking? I'm not sure we're getting the entire picture about what's really going on downtown. And then on the, the, the other thing to this is secure parking. Okay, um, what about all the other people who work downtown who might park on a surface parking lot that's out in the open or just Thousands park on the street? Thousands of people every day. So why should the police get special parking I don't, as opposed to just Joe Lunchpail who might work at a construction site downtown or somebody who works wherever, doesn't matter where. Of all the people, of all the people who are equipped to defend themselves on some level, it would be a police officer, would it not? You've been through, didn't you go through some police training or or a simulation That's right. at some point? Yes, I went through their use of force uh, seminar, which was great, and they showed me just a, just a, a brief peek behind the curtain, and uh, I clearly am, am hopelessly inept 
Uh, I got to brandish a weapon. I got to brandish uh, one of those those nightsticks that extend, and uh, it was kind of fun actually. Uh, wailing on this guy who was wearing one of those, like a really big padded suit. You got to actually uh, so, Oh yeah, take I was striking force? this guy. Really? <laughs> Brandishing, one of my favorite English words, by and, the way. And uh, uh, so that was fun, but yeah, you, you know, police officers at the very least have are taught basic self-defense, which I think is more than most of us. By the way, when I say that, I want to make sure it's clear I'm not saying, oh, well, boo-hoo for the Winnipeg police. They don't get special parking. But as you pointed out, they do have more tools in their kit to deal with this kind of thing than the regular. Like if I was attacked by someone downtown, I'd, I, I'm i a big guy, and that's the only thing that I have is the hope that someone sees I'm a large person, larger than average, not mm-hmm. a giant, but mm-hmm. I'm slightly taller than average and kind of look mean. That's it. If they realize that that I'm actually not, then the jig is up. (laughs) (laughs) Take my money. Here's my here. Here, you want my hoodie? Okay, just leave me alone, please. If you had to go toe to toe, the 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 facts are you're you're giving it all up, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's right. You you know, uh, we are. It's six ten on a Tuesday morning, bombarded with text messages right now, echoing essentially our sentiments. With regard to, what about Joe Public? If the police feel unsafe, what about us? This just, I think this is opening a huge can of worms. And uh, we are, if we haven't already, will be reaching out to Mo Sabrin, Winnipeg Police Association, to get comments on this so we can ask your questions. So what questions would you ask of Mo Sabrin when we get him on the air later on this morning? 204 780 or send us an email. I'm gmac at cgob.com. You can email Brett McGarry at brett, B-R-E-T-T, at cgob.com. And another police thing in the news, the situation the situation with the helicopter, Air One, being used on a movie shoot for 72 minutes, not far out of town, and there are there is some consternation over this. The police said that it was used for 72 minutes last month. It was never far from the city. Had a call come in that required the chopper, that would have taken priority. Now, it is worth pointing out that uh, taxpayers paid $3.5 million for Air One, and the police chopper costs nearly $2 million a year to operate. Okay, there's that. But the cost of this was paid for, and it was, again, 72 minutes, and had a call come in, then they're... Up in the air, so away you go. So who I don't has have their uh, arms in the air about that? Who who is up in arms about this? That's a good question. I don't know specifically who is whining about this. You know, this, this, this. This is the fact that it's in the news, though. Winnipeg markets itself as a very film friendly community, a place to come and make films. Uh, people are doing so at a record pace, over $130 million worth of films in Manitoba last year. That number's set to rise this year. I'm old enough to remember when they wanted to make a movie in downtown Winnipeg in the Exchange District where they were going to chop down 11 trees to make it look like the 1800s. Uh, The producers were going to replant those trees. The trees were not that old. They had been fairly newly planted trees. They were going to be replaced with trees slightly younger, but city council voted against that. That was back in the early 1990s. You may have heard of this film, 
Legends of the Fall. <laughs> okay. okay, so Winnipeg lost probably a half a decade of uh, prime filmmaking because it was seen as uncooperative. Yeah, with the, with the film community, and now we flip that conversation around, and we are very hospitable. Some people think we're too hospitable, but that's a conversation for another time. I don't know how anybody could be up in arms about this. Uh, the police helicopter, uh, some people think it's an outstanding resource. Some people think it's a waste of money. In this particular instance, it was revenue neutral. I'd leave it alone. This is this is a story about nothing. Yeah, I don't... Uh, I'm not entirely certain why there are those who are opposed to the use of the helicopter in general. I look at an example uh, last weekend, so not this past weekend, but the weekend prior, there was that story of those guys who stole, uh, I believe they stole a car, and they, they gave, police sort of briefly pursued them before they had to call it off because the guys are doing 150 kilometers an hour southwest of the city. And one followed them to Starbucks, and police on the ground were there in a couple, couple minutes later and arrested them immediately, thanks to Air One being able to follow them from the air. Maybe Air One just needs to hover around Winnipeg Police Headquarters with a spotlight searching around so that everybody can get to their car nice and safe. I'm a little cantankerous this morning, Brett McGarry. To add to my, uh, well, I think it's early enough I can speak about this freely. Got an email yesterday that we dread. Every year it seems as though we get this email. Someone in the school has had lice, and it's not all that uncommon. Here's Shadow Davis with more. Good morning. So we've heard warnings yet again from public school divisions regarding lice. Oh my. One of our nieces got lice last year and Lisa freaked out because she'd just been over for a visit recently and now she absolutely had to have them. Oh my God, I have lice! She could feel herself itching within seconds of hearing the news. She didn't get the lice, by the way. Didn't happen. There are three different kinds of lice. There's body lice, only on your body when feeding. They'll lay eggs or nits, as they're called, and live in the seams of your clothing when they're not drinking your blood. There's pubic lice or crabs. Guess where they're found? (laughs) They may also be found on your body hair, eyelashes, eyebrows, but rarely on the scalp. Then you've got your head lice. These are found on the scalp, usually behind the ears or back of the neck. Most common with elementary school age kids. However, adults can get them too if they spend a lot of time with children. If they're teachers, they work in a daycare, or they just happen to be, you know, parents like you maybe. The school warnings are about head lice. First thing, and I'm certain savvy parents already know this, getting lice doesn't mean your child is dirty. It means they've had head-to-head contact with another kid that has lice. Lice don't care if your hair is dirty or squeaky clean. Lice are not dangerous in the sense of carrying disease, but they are extremely contagious and very itchy, and if not treated quickly, can wind up building a civilization on your child's scalp. Lice can survive up to four weeks on a person's head and can lay up to 10 eggs a day. That's a lot of lice, right? They must be treated quickly to avoid Lice Angeles or Lice Vegas. Don't be worried about lice jumping from one head to another, though. Head lice cannot jump or fly. They're not built for it. The only way for head lice to be transmitted is head-to-head contact or sharing combs, brushes, hats, scarves, or anything else that has to do with the head. Oh, and tell your kids not to take selfies with their friends, because what happens in selfies? Heads. Close. Together. No selfies. 
How do we treat these little suckers? Well, it's a little tougher these days. According to a report in the Journal of Medical Entomology, 97% of North American lice have evolved into super lice, meaning they've become tougher to kill using the traditional shampoos and ointments from back in the day. You can try it, but you may not have much success. According to my buddy Karen of Cootie Catchers in Kingston, Ontario, <laughs> go get a metal comb and pick them out one by one. She also says hair straighteners or curling irons don't work because the eggs or nits are very close to the scalp and the curling iron or the hair straightener doesn't get that far down. Oh, and don't forget, wash bedding and clothes in hot water, then run them in the hot cycle of the dryer for at least 20 minutes. If some things can't be washed, like pillows, comforters, etc., put them in airtight bags for at least three days. That'll kill those darn lice. Vacuum carpets and any upholstered furniture and car seats, then throw away the vacuum bag. Soak hair care items like combs, barrettes, hair ties, headbands, brushes, and rubbing alcohol for one hour, or you can just throw them away. And all family members should be thoroughly checked for any signs of lice, just to make sure. Good times, right? <laughs> and that's it. More on lice coming up between 8.30 and 9 o'clock right here with Mackling and McGarry. And guys, I uh, think I feel something squirming on the, the back of my neck. Mackling McGarry, Shadow Davis Show. I'm Greg. He's Brett. And joining us in studio, as they do every day at this time, Shanalee Vidal. Jeff Braun, Kelly Moore, and just on the other side of the glass partition is behind the glass, Jerry. And we've been speaking about this since the get-go this morning. President of the Winnipeg Police Association says a lack of secure parking at Winnipeg Police Service facilities downtown is putting its members at risk of being attacked. Mo Sabrin says two serious incidents have occurred in less than two months. So today we're having coffee, talking downtown safety. In light of the police being attacked, what does that tell you about the safety of downtown? Now, the first of these two incidents involved an off-duty uh, officer being stabbed outside the Winnipeg Police Headquarters. And then the more recent incident uh, happened involved a situation where a suspect motioned to, and this is a quote now, motioned to produce a weapon, which could have turned into a much more serious situation, end quote. That is from Winnipeg Police Association President Mo Sabrin. So, Shanley, what does this tell you about the safety of downtown? Uh, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny because I've, I've never completely felt unsafe. It's more about you, you know, you watch where you're going. You you just be extra cautious. You know, you you be careful if you're going into a dark area. But if the police are, are scared, and they, this, is, this is off-duty police officers, so obviously they're not wearing uniforms or anything like that. I have to I have to really wonder if uh, downtown isn't uh, is just really, really become a much less safe place than I remembered. But because I, I don't go downtown that much anymore and I don't hang around at night. I don't linger like I was when I was a teenager because there was a lot of lingering when I was a teenager and I, I didn't feel I didn't feel unsafe. Where did you linger? Where did I linger? Well, like around in the exchange, around uh, around Fort by the by the pyramid. Sure. Okay. So yeah. th those kind yeah. of areas, yeah. you know, so so all around, right? And I would take the bus home from going out to the bar. I never felt unsafe. Now, 
now, especially hearing that the police are feeling unsafe, the police who can take care of themselves a lot more than I can take care of myself, that really gives me cause for concern. Well, I think that's part of the, the biggest part of the discussion for me. If these ladies and gentlemen who have been trained in self-defense and and how to suppress people physically are feeling uncomfortable, how are the rest of us supposed to feel? Well, here's my take on it. Uh, is this an, are these two incidents that were strictly uh, police related in that they were possibly people looking for retribution? Uh, with the officer uh, that, that arrested them or or uh, was part of the arrest. Uh, you know, I don't know if that has ever come out on the story. And is it more than just two off-duty police officers who have been stabbed or attacked downtown? Well, Sabrin is saying that they're, they've documented over 100 incidents involving WPA members and staff attending or leaving work, including a stabbing, Right. Serious assaults, threats, and sabotage to members' vehicles. Yeah. So, so what? So what I'm saying, though, Greg, is that uh, you know, if you're asking me if I feel unsafe because of this, if I was a member of the Winnipeg Police Association, yes. As an ordinary citizen, I'm still not sure yet because I I haven't heard anything uh, that uh, involves uh, an ordinary citizen. So, are you suggesting that this um, that this release? That there's an underlying suggestion within it. No, no, no. This no, is no. not what accusatory. I, what, but is there a potential here that these incidents are directed at police? Well, well that would be the question I would ask for sure. Well, that's a question that we hope to ask this morning. We uh, were trying to get in touch with Mo Sabarin, and uh, we would like to ask him that because I was hypothesizing something similar earlier. You know, I was looking at this release. They don't outright say we believe our members are being targeted. Right. But it does, it almost seems like that's the implication that is being made here. Yeah. And then to which we said, well, if people are targeting police, then they have some some big cojones that they, they would go after the cops like that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I say. I would like a few more questions answered before I responded, yes, I feel unsafe going downtown. Now, having said that, I don't spend a lot of time there. The, the When I do go downtown, it's usually uh, for a Jets game or on occasion some specific shopping. There's one little shop that I like to, uh, on Vaughn, that I like to go into. But other than that, though, there's not a whole lot of time I, I spend downtown anyway. Jeff Braun. If they're asking for secure parking, like that's what I'd like to know. I was like, what does that even mean? Because yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think I could break into any parkade in the city if I really felt like it. Yeah. Is <laughs> like, it like you, you most know of the them one are open, open air anyways, right? There's the one, one in Charleswood that's fairly heavily gated, and I know the one in Transcoda, though, you know, they're the yes. neighborhood police. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't uh, know if they're set up, equipped with space downtown to do something like that or not. But well, and this, yeah, uh, this is apparently part of the concern, but it, to me it leads to a larger concern for a larger portion of the population. Well, I, I, I used to work for the RCMP. Um, and in the division I worked in, uh, everyone who worked uh, in that division, every, uh, including uh, the, the officers and the non-officers, all uh, parked in underground secure parking just for this reason, because they didn't want to, them to be targeted as uh, people who worked for the police. And in that city as well, the city police had a huge compound with, uh, with razor wire and uh, cameras and a secure gate to get in. 
And uh, you couldn't see inside that gate at all, for the, once again, for the same reason that they didn't want people to be able to get in, uh, get uh, license plate numbers of the cars that were driving in and out. Um, and it was for the protection of the officers because there was the potential of people targeting officers uh uh, before and after their shifts. So then there's a lot more information in terms of, you know, beyond no. this release. And I think, Kelly, you're bringing a, a highlight to it. And, Brett, I, I think that, that you brought this to uh, the conversation right off the bat. You know, it's a two-sided coin now, right? What Jerry's mentioning is there's a reason why many police services have facilities like this. You outlined some of them there. Mm-hmm. If people are brave enough to go after a, a police officer off duty or otherwise i th- i think that's uh, that's that's a gigantic issue yeah because if they if they if let's say there is uh someone who is uh, of of criminal nature who happens to be just in the the vicinity of the the police headquarters and they know that it's police headquarters and somebody walks out of that building it's pretty easy to connect the dots that that person is likely a cop, Boy, and old. then and they, but yeah, so maybe who and who knows if if these people are on some kind of a substance that would alter their 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 ability to make proper decisions. Maybe they think, oh, there's a police officer. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a fight or whatever the case is. Um, the the other concern out of that though, guys, is the you know the the statement that clearly. If we're talking about targeting, you know, they go after Danny Smythe and Brian Bowman pretty hard there, yeah. you know, and, and point the accusing fingers. So that's why, uh, you know, I I would also say that there, you know, the agenda, whether it's uh, 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 whether it's worth going after or not, uh, I, obviously there is an issue there within the Winnipeg Police Service and the two people that are certainly among the top decision makers in Mr. Smythe and Mr. Bowman. Yeah, part of the suggestion is that this was a known concern before they moved to this new headquarters right. and it hasn't been addressed. It was Jeff? a problem at the old headquarters? Like, where were they parking then? Well, I know there's several secure parking lots oh, around the old public safety building. Uh, you know, I'm not going to mention them, but there were several gated mm-hmm. uh, parking lots in that general vicinity and a considerable amount of underground parking uh, underneath the, the public safety building as well. If, if I might, I guess I would say, let's put ourselves in the shoes of those women and those men who who we're talking about here. And how would we feel if we were in their circumstance? Oh, 100%. But like we said, this just, in our minds, shines a, a spotlight on, A, how safe is it downtown if police officers off-duty uh, or others that work at police headquarters are being targeted. That that says to us, if there's a hundred incidents on these individuals alone, right. we've been led to believe for the last three years that, don't worry, downtown is very safe. Uh, well, that, that, that screams the exact opposite to me. And also it comes into uh, effect uh, with regard to what was promised? What did these individuals deserve? And if someone's targeting a police officer, we need to get them off the street because they're extra uh, kind of uh, uh, diabolical in my mind. 
We're getting lots of feedback as well at 204-780-6868. And actually, Jeff Braun, just as you made your comment about the old location, someone said almost the same thing. How come we are hearing about this now? I'm sure this would happen when on Princess Street headquarters. No. Also, just as an aside... Jerry, you worked for the RCMP. Yeah. Jerry's worked everywhere. Between Can you get you me out of Mac- a ticket? <laughs> <laughs> Between you and Mackling, I think we need to do a list of how many jobs the two of you have worked. No kidding. <laughs> so, Shanalee, when you used to uh, linger, as you pointed out, outside the Pyramid Cabaret, you never felt unsafe. When is the last time you went to, uh, like, a you know, Pyramid? So you went to concerts at the Pyramid, yeah, presumably. Yeah, that was definitely my younger days, and probably... It's probably like a good, probably ten years ago. So you haven't been been to an event um, in a decade. I've not not where I've had to take the bus home, right? Okay. I, um, I mean, a couple of months ago, I think I was taking the bus home at the concert hall. It was with my mom, and she was really like nervous because there was like some guys there talking kind of crazy and stuff. But I'm like, <laughs> just ignore them, mom. It's okay. Don't don't give them attention. Don't act like you're nervous. Just you know, follow my lead. So I mean, just the the, the odd time like that, um, and may, maybe because now that I'm I'm less likely to put up with things like that, I I see it more. Okay. All right. Well, hey, let us know what you think. 204-780-6868. What questions would you ask of the Winnipeg Police Association who are calling on this city and for safer parking, for secure parking for their members, their off-duty members? If you're wiping the sleep out of your eyes and you're a little discombobulated about the time and getting back to work at 7.17, it is Tuesday morning. Uh, If you were supposed to go back to work yesterday, you're a whole day late. (laughs) <laughs> Lots of people got back to work yesterday after an extended break. The kids went back to school, so lots of teachers back at work, and of course, lots of parents, uh, some of whom had to be home last week in order to take care of their kids. So for uh, some of us, this has been the first full week of 2018, at least on the work front. And not everyone may have gotten back in the work groove yet, so we thought we would reach out to an HR expert to get some tips for easing back into the job after taking some time off over the holidays. We're joined by Barbara Bose, president of Legacy Bose Group and a good friend of 680 CJOB. Barbara, good morning to you. And there goes Barbara. (laughs) Bye-bye, Barbara. (laughs) Was that, was that you, Brett McGarry? No, I no. Put, the, put her on the air and oh. said hello, and then... Must have been something you said. Because <laughs> she can't smell you from here. And that's so. the sound of a segment coming to a screeching, <laughs> crashing halt. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to live radio, folks. It's uh, 7.19 on a Tuesday morning, and we are uh, going to get Barbara Bowes back on the line. And uh, I don't know what you said. There, But this whole idea of getting back into the work groove is a big issue for a lot of people. You know the old saying, I I need a holiday from my vacation. Yeah. Because for a lot of folks, a break isn't really a genuine break. It's really just a series of obligations, whether you're in California or in Winnipeg. We got Barb back? We got Barbara back. Okay, let's see uh, what happens here. Try this again. Barbara, are you there? Yeah, I'm there. I'm actually out in Shiloh. 
Okay. Uh, so talking to you a little bit long distance, and obviously my transition got uh, frozen on the way back to Winnipeg. No problem. Barbara, thanks for this. Always great to catch up with you. Happy New Year. And I was just yeah, mentioning uh, before we brought you on the air here, this whole idea of needing a break or a holiday from my vacation, because uh, a holiday is, is sometimes just in quotation marks. It's not necessarily a rest or a break from anything, really. Yeah, that's true. I've been speaking to a lot of people over Christmas and, and New Year's, and the number of events and dinners and traipsing and trapsing to from one house to another, it's almost when you're going back to, to work, you, the work is a break. Um, but that's, you know, it's not quite true. It's true. It's a very, very busy time. When you get back to work, it's really a, a really good, simple example of change. And we know that change of any kind is really very difficult. So, you get back to work, and I was just thinking, uh, you know, when you were speaking earlier, you're back in body, but not necessarily in mind. So it's, you know, wh- what happens? I mean, people are sad, but they're sad because they're leaving excitement behind and coming back to work. And work can be all the work that was left behind for two whole weeks um, and having to get into that and prioritize. And, and at the same time, you're losing and losing the the enjoyment that you had over the Christmas holidays. So it's really a good example of change management at its simplest form. And, you know, it's often called post-vacation blues. So how does one, we only have about a minute left here, unfortunately, Barbara, but how does one combat that? Uh, Do you have any tips on uh, somebody who's kind of dragging their feet into work? Yeah, I have several, but one of the first ones is before you go clean off your desk. So that, or your workspace, whatever that is. So when you come back, it's not cluttered and you're not feeling overwhelmed with, oh, my God, I have to dig through the pile to find out what I need to do today. So clean off your desk. And then secondly, try to schedule a personal day before you get back to work. I also say, I also say cheat a little bit. Look into your email if you have that. See what's there. And then try to set some basic priorities. And then go to work and try to work on the simplest, quickest thing first so that you feel a really good sense of accomplishment, and then you can continue with the day. Barbara, we'll have to schedule a longer period of time for you next time we schedule a visit. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate the call. We appreciate you, and we appreciate uh, the work that you do. Barbara Bowes, president of Legacy Bowes Group, calling us from Shiloh. Uh, Barb, uh, travel home safely. Breakfast with the Bombers brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. And joining us now live on 680 CJOB, Winnipeg Blue Bomber quarterback, Matt Nichols. Mr. Nichols, good morning to you, sir. Hey, good morning. Appreciate you joining us, Matt. I uh, know you're a new dad. Been down that road. I only did it once. Uh, <laughs> a little sleep deprived these days. How's it going with uh, with, with the new baby? You know, not so bad actually. Uh, you know, we, we kind of got it down to a science already with with our two kids, and uh, you know, usually it's my my older one, Elliot, that wakes me up at seven in the morning. But uh, you know, my wife does a great job of kind of taking care of the baby through through the night, and uh, you know, I let her sleep in and catch up on sleep in the mornings. And and uh, you know, luckily, Elliot was a very awful baby, cried all the time. Uh, you know made us look at each other and say, I don't know how people ever do this more than once. And, uh, and so we, we decided to give it another shot and Parker's been incredible. Uh, doesn't really cry. You know, we're, worst thing she does is just fuss a little bit when she gets hungry. So we've been lucky with this one. And, uh, you know, I can see why people have more than, more than a couple of kids after 
having a good baby. You know, our, our first one was a rough go, though. <laughs> now, I don't want to make any assumptions with regard to uh, the CFL player fraternity, but I imagine that it's a tight-knit group, and we've seen here in Winnipeg that things are very tight-knit. And is there a subset within the Canadian Football League of quarterbacks? Are, are, are you intertwined with one another regardless of what team you play for? Yeah, I think so. And for the most part, especially, um, you know, for me, I've, I've been on the same team as, as, uh, over half of them, I think. And, and so, you know, I've gotten to know pretty much all of them personally. And then, you know, the longer you're in the league, the more you, you know, get in touch with people. And, you know, these days it's a lot easier too, because, you know, guys like, um, you know, guys like Trevor Harris, where, uh, you know, I haven't been, personally around him a ton, you know, besides uh, before and after games, you know, with social media, being able to kind of connect without, uh, you know, having to exchange phone numbers and stuff. Uh, you know, we've, I think we've gotten, uh, you know, pretty close, you know, talking quite a bit. And I think the main thing is, you know, people want to, you know, talk about, you know, who does this well, who does that well, you know, who's good, who's not good. Um, you know, the, the thing for us is, you know, no one, no one really knows what it's like being back there and, and having to deal with the things you have to deal with as a quarterback. So I think for me, at least the number one thing is being able to, to lean on those guys and, and, uh, you know, know that they've, they've been through everything that you're going through or, um, you know, really the only ones that can, can truly re- relate to, to what it's, what it's like being a professional quarterback. Well, there's a method to my madness to asking that question. How does it feel then when someone who's not played a single down in the Canadian Football League, I'm talking about Johnny Manziel, and via his agent, uh, these contract demands, how, how do you feel uh, about what's going on with Johnny Manziel and the prospect of him playing in Hamilton? Well, I mean, I mean I, I'd have to, you know, I'd be the first one to, to say that you know, I, w- I was definitely a huge fan of his when he was in college. I mean, obviously, you know, some of the things that transpired the last few years, uh, you know, have not been great for him. But uh, you know, it would be—I know he's an exciting player, and uh, you know, everyone would be lying if they didn't say that. You know, when Johnny Football burst onto the scene in college, that they weren't immediate fans. I mean, he was—he was exciting and fun to watch. So, you know, that part of it is is awesome. But um, you know, more. I've seen, I've been in the league for eight years now and anyone that's basically trying to use the CFL as the, you know, come up, play and go back to the NFL. I've never seen work out one time. Um, you know, usually it's the guys that come up and embrace it and, you know, ball out for a couple of years, you know, can, can get another shot down there. But, um, you know, it, it is kind of, you know, a weird thing, you know, you can demand all you want. Um, uh, you know, I would, I'd be less worried about trying to get paid like a top tier starter, more worried about even trying to see the field. I mean, Jeremiah Masoli has you know, paid his dues. I think has grown a lot as a player. I, was, I played with him in Edmonton and, and, you know, to see the way that he you know can play and, and the way he can throw the football compared to, you know, even when I was around him five, five years ago, um, you know, it's been incredible to watch and guy I have a ton of respect for and, you know, I think that he's earned he's earned that job, and um, you know, I think he he played as good or better than anyone down the stretch last last year, and and uh, you know, so for me, I'd be, I'd be more worried about even trying to get on the field than uh, you know what kind of money he's going to try and get. But uh, you never know. I mean, there might be another team that 
that might give that to him. And then it's, uh, you know, credit to him and his agent. He's, he's going to have to go back it up on the field or be out of the league as quickly as he's in it. So, um, you know, I, I don't worry too much about it. Uh, you know, to me, it's funny. Uh, you know, I'm more, more so just wanted to be, you know, either signed or not signed and get it over with. Cause it's kind of like spam on my Twitter feed, which I'm kind of getting a little bored of, but, uh, I guess we'll see what happens here in the next uh, next few weeks. Well, Matt, you're a great follow on Twitter. We'll have to let it go at that and uh, catch up with you in a few weeks' time as we make our way through the off season. Always appreciate your time, and I uh, uh, hope you're having a great off season. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We've been talking this morning about how the president of the Winnipeg Police Association, in a statement referred to a lack of secure parking at the Winnipeg Police Service facilities downtown and says that is putting members at risk of being attacked, saying that the WPA has documented over 100 incidents as officers go to and from work, including two recent serious incidents. And early December, one off-duty member was stabbed. So he joins us now live on 680 CJOB to discuss these concerns. Mo Sabrin, president of the Winnipeg Police Association, good morning and welcome. Welcome, sir. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on this morning. Well, we appreciate uh, your availability, Mo, and we'll ask you right off the bat, do, do folks that work inside police headquarters face different safety issues versus someone working in another building in downtown Winnipeg? Well, absolutely, because uh, when our members are coming and going, the natural assumption is, is that you're a police officer. And uh, the people that are actually in more of a a dangerous situation are our staff members because uh, we have close to 450 staff members that don't have any specific training in use of force or self-defense. And when our members are leaving the workplace, they don't have their usual tool belt that they've been trained to use in case of dangerous situations. So uh, the unfortunate thing is is, uh, there has been incidents in the past where we have been specifically targeted, where uh, bad people have tried to ambush members leaving work. They know that we're uh, we're there, we're parked around the area, and uh, we leave work at a specific time typically, and we get to work at a specific time. So, Mo, are you saying then that these incidents are specifically targeted or is it just that uh, when people are coming out of the, the building and someone nefarious happens to be walking by that they might think, oh, this is somebody in the police, I'm going to do something about it? Yeah, I, I would think that uh, a good majority um, of the incidents are um people that know that uh, it's either police officers or staff that are leaving. There, There are... Uh, incidents that uh, it's just a happenstance that uh, it, it could have been any other uh, citizen in the downtown area that uh, that um, these incidents are occurring to. But when you look at the totality of all the incidents, there's been incidents of sabotage where lug nuts have been removed off of our members' vehicles in an attempt to, to cause injury or cause damage to vehicles, where we have had uh, death threats Uh, written into the paint of members' cars, and I won't talk about the specific language, Uh, written into the dust on cars. Um, Even before we left the public safety building, there was numerous incidents of uh, nails and screws being scattered around the building. And I don't think any other business has those types of um, situations arise. 
Now, Mo, for us, this raises a larger concern with regard to overall safety in downtown. Uh, the statistics have been rolled out year <clears throat> after year that it's safe downtown and, and citizens don't have anything to fear by going downtown. I've always suggested that the perception is that it's not safe. And for most people, perception is reality. Are you concerned that your comments uh, have have maybe exposed and opened a conversation about the overall safety of downtown? town for the general public oh absolutely uh, we've been saying for a very long time uh, for the size of winnipeg we are the most violent jurisdiction in canada uh, the crime severity index has risen significantly over the the past uh, few years and i really don't think that we're keeping our head above water especially when it comes to calls for service and the severity of the types of calls. And, and we've been uh, trying to get this message across to the service, and the, but they've completely uh, depleted our general patrol resources where um, we're down to bare minimums. And they're not even listening to their own uh, studies, reviews that say you have to staff general patrol to a certain amount <clears throat> because they need those people in general patrol to be able to do the proactive patrolling that you don't see right now they're going from call to call to call and if you have people proactively uh, patrolling the downtown area bad guys bad girls are going to know that the police are around not tied up on a call and they won't be able to get get to a certain area in a in a hurry and that that is the the sad reality when we have the worst response uh, times in canada uh something has to change oh sorry mo Go ahead. No, nope, sorry. Uh, I was going to say overall, uh, I think downtown safety is an issue, but uh, for safe, secure parking for our members, um, we do not have the same types of issues around the West District Station or East District Station. They have a card access compound around um, around those stations, and we've never had any significant incidents such as we've seen uh, and in the increase of severity as we have in the last uh, couple of years. Well, Sabrin is president of the Winnipeg Police Association. You mentioned the old public safety building, and we have uh, discussed at least off-air, if not on-air, those compounds in the East and West District stations. Did you mm-hmm. ever have secure parking for your members? Was this a concern in uh, you know in the Exchange District when the when the police headquarters were there? Uh, is there anything different now uh, as opposed to when you were at the uh, public safety building? Oh, absolutely, because uh, this has been a very long-going issue. Uh, We had approached the province way back when, when we were at the Public Safety Building. They recommended a program such as a Safe Walk program, which was implemented. They also indicated that the the service had to provide a certain amount of parking spots, which was allowed for in the Civic Parkade. We also had, um, it's uh, and it's still there, it's a fenced compound uh, just off of Pollen Street, uh, that members uh, could pay for, and it was card access, but you still had about a block walk to get over to that uh, to that area. So, and when <clears throat> when we moved, uh, no consideration was ever put forward as far as safe, secure parking. When the Civic Parkade was falling down, those parking spots that were allowed for in there that were safe and secure uh, disappeared. Um, so really, the only thing left for members was to fend for themselves in the general area on the streets. And as we know, nobody else is parking around those buildings at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, we only have about 60 seconds left here. Um, 
So these officers who, these incidents, you're documenting 100 incidents uh, where off-duty members are being accosted, assaulted. Are they in uniform at the time? No. Um, I would say 98% of those situations, uh, members are um, in plain clothes, they're in their their civilian clothes, and and they're either walking to their vehicle or walking from their vehicle uh, to the workplace. Um, I, I think it's it's just a uh, something that somebody is naturally going to think that, well, if people coming in and out of that building are police officers, especially when you have card access entries and so on and so forth. So it's not difficult for bad people to know that uh, this is where we work. Uh, we're going to have to come and we're going to have to leave. And typically we don't have our normal tool belt that uh, that we have uh, normally to, to uh, draw from. Mo Sabern, thank you so much for your time this morning. We very much appreciate it. Mo is the president of the Winnipeg Police Association. Once again, the Winnipeg Police Association calling on the city and the Winnipeg Police Service to provide safer and secure parking for its members for situations uh, that are occurring when they are off duty and exiting, going back to their car. Shadow Davis Show on 680 CJOB. One, two, three. It is time for three things with Shanalee Vidal. Today it's three well-known people the world is saying goodbye to. Hello, Shanalee. Hello, Brett. Hello, Greg. Kind of a, a somber, a somber three things for this morning. Well, thanks a lot. I'm sorry. Maybe it'll work me out of my uh, kind of uh, lousy mood I'm in here. So. But but I think think as you know, some some there are some kind of. Uh, important things in here. So, so I thought uh, it'd be worth bringing it to everyone's attention. Okay, let's do it. Number one. So number one, does this music take you back? Do you remember this theme song? Of course I do. I'm already at Gibson's Landing or wherever Danger <laughs> you, Bay was close to see? on the West da- Coast. Danger Bay, of course, that, that 1980s staple. And it was on a, a lot on reruns late at night. That's where I got to know the show. And the star of the show, Don Lee Rhodes, has passed away. Oh, boy. He played Dr. Grant Roberts. Now, the name Don Lee Rhodes might not be terribly familiar to, to some of you, but you, you, you know him to see him. He's been in a lot of things like Da Vinci's Inquest, Battlestar Galactica. We played the uh, ship's gruff medical doctor who's always walking around with a cigarette. Uh, he also had roles on Bonanza, Girl from Uncle, Cheers, Golden Girls, and The Young and the Restless. And every time my boyfriend and I would be watching TV and we'd see uh, we'd see him show up somewhere, we'd we'd shout, "It's Dr. Grant Roberts!" and we'd be super excited because we love Dr. Grant Roberts. On which show? On Danger Bay. He's Dr. Grant Roberts. Oh, but he Danger was, Bay. Yeah, he was yeah, yeah. also the doctor on Battlestar Galactica, but he was a little bit less nice. Yeah, and I think he was a bad guy on Young and the Restless, too, if I remember you know correctly. What? I <laughs> think he may be right. I'm not sure I'm if I've sure. seen that. But now, you he, are a Young and the Restless... Uh, aficionado, yes, yes, yes. Now, Donnelly Rhodes was 80, but... And rest in peace. He was a Winnipegger. He was a Winnipegger. Didn't know that and was, uh, I guess, pleasantly surprised to see that. Okay. Yeah, Number two. Funny the things that you, you don't know about. Number two is someone I actually didn't know about, but this is someone that you told me about this morning. Um, Chadley Gare. I don't know how to say it. Gaborio. Gaborio also known as Big Chad. Uh, he passed away in Selkirk. Now, he's very well known in the uh, Selkirk community as a music promoter, Carl Salesman. I've seen some of my Selkirk friends actually starting to post about this 
feeling very sad about that. He was also one of the owners of the music venue, The Merch. And so the club posted on Facebook yesterday saying, Today the music world lost a friend and a true live music fan. His constant commitment to the community and his philanthropic spirit was the driving force to our continued pursuit to offer great live entertainment and music culture to the people of Selkirk. We will make it our mission to remind people of Big Chad's generosity and tireless efforts at every show. Now, uh, Big Chad actually posted on social media a few days ago. I guess he was he had been on a trip in Jamaica and he uh, had to go to the hospital. He took ill. He was suffering from uh, from sunstroke. Yeah, that's a sad story. A community leader, someone that was very mm-hmm. active in the community up in Selkirk. One of uh, an old friend of mine who's in a band uh, was lamenting Chad's loss and the whole idea that when his band would go on stro- uh, on uh, on tour, Chad would always make sure that they had a vehicle, didn't have to worry about uh, getting from point A to B. But it's also really good to see how how much he inspires passion in other people, especially for the music business. So I mean, that's something. That would be his legacy, right? Yeah, his legacy. And so speaking of legacy, which brings me to the third thing. And this thing, this one is, um, it's kind of, it's very bittersweet as all of these things are, but this one kind of touches me the most. Someone you may not have heard about. Guarantee you didn't hear hear about her until yesterday. Her name is Holly Butcher. She's from Australia. This story has been trending at globalnews.ca. She passed away last Thursday, but she left behind some advice. She, oh, she's only 27 when she passed away from cancer, by the way. She wrote a letter, which she posted the day before she died, to Facebook for her family and friends, offering some advice. And I wish, I wish that I could read the whole thing, but I don't have the time. And honestly, I'd probably start crying. Mm-hmm. But I will give you some of the, some of the things that she mentions. Um, okay. She says, talk to your friends. Put down your phone. Are they doing okay? Travel if it's your desire. Don't if it's not. Work to live. Don't live to work. Seriously, do what makes you happy. Eat the cake. Zero guilt. Say no to things you really don't want to do. Don't feel pressured to do what other people think is a fulfilling life. You might want a mediocre life, and that is so okay. Tell your loved ones you love them every time you get a chance and love them with everything you have. And I can't read anymore. Yeah, and and she says to whinge less. And when I was uh, perusing the article before I sent it to you and her letter, that that, that word whinge jumped out at me. And then, oh, she's an Aussie. And then, of course, I went back and read the entire thing. So So, powerful message, mm -hmm. right? A lot of people like, you know, that's easy to say. Take it from someone who has taken their Mm -hmm. last last breath. Exactly. And something she mentioned, too, is uh, giving blood, how important it is to give blood because her... She was alive for the last year of her life because of all the blood donations. One donation, she was saying how it can fill three bags. It can. So, I mean, that's one little thing you're doing and can mean so much to someone else. All right, Shanalee Vidal, thank you very much. You can read that letter at globalnews.ca. Three things with Shanalee Vidal heard every day on the Shadow Davis Show after the 8 o'clock news on 680 CJOB. introduction we we spoke with wrestler chris jericho <laughs> last month well we as no no station. you you brett mcgarry <laughs> had the good fortune to visit with chris jericho last month about wrestle kingdom 12 in japan chris jericho took on fellow winnipegger kenny omega with the incredible match going on for more than 30 minutes and it we wasn't are, even last it was just last week yeah 
Well, I'm just reading what's written here. I, you know, Ron Burgundy. Just call me Ron Burgundy. We're lucky to be speaking with uh, Chris Jericho once again. Good morning, Chris. Well, good morning, guys. How's it going? Not bad at all. We appreciate you taking some time. I got to say just an editorial comment right off the bat. I was 15 years old again watching that match between you and Kenny Omega. Wrestling was never the biggest thing in my life, but I got to tell you, it transformed me. It took me back 32 years with that incredible exhibition at the Tokyo Dome. Uh, kudos to you and to Kenny Omega for putting on a spectacular show. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. Like I said, the whole concept of, um, you know, Alpha versus Omega, Jericho versus Omega, two Winnipeggers, uh, you know, main event in the Tokyo Dome. But the, the thing is, like, there's so much pomp and circumstance surrounding it. And obviously the idea is to sell as many tickets and get as many eyeballs on the product as you can. Then once we actually got all that done, you realize, well, geez, we've got to actually have to have a match here, too. We've never been in the ring together. We've never locked up. We've never done anything together before. So to go out there and put on this match that uh, – the majority of the people said it was the best match on the show, uh, match of the year. Uh, a lot of uh, people saying it was Chris Jericho's best ever match. I mean, anytime you get those type of credit and that type of, uh, of comments about something that you're doing, uh, you know, the art form that you're creating, it's a pretty cool thing, especially when the idea was to do something uh, mind-blowing and different. So there's a lot of hype. And then to be able to live up to that hype was, uh, was a pretty cool feeling for sure. Chris, you just used a couple of words that I have heard people scoff at uh, when you when combined with the word pro wrestling is it's art form. I have and I it was me who said it's a you know it's an art form and someone scoffed said, pro wrestling. Come on, I know why I would say it's an art form, but why would you uh, describe it as such? Well, anybody that says that is pretty stupid and, and myopic in their opinions because to me, art is anything where you create something out of nothing. Um, and there's an art form to it. There really is. And anytime you can, uh, you know, create this routine. I mean, there's, if you want somebody to scoff, here's something scoff worthy. I think that pro wrestling could be an Olympic sport. I think it's as much of a, of an exhibition as, uh, figure skating, as gymnastics, as synchronized swimming. Anytime when you have two people performing a kind of a synchronized routine and somebody's judging it, that could be, you know, like I said, Olympic worthy. Um, so you could do that if you wanted to. I mean, there really is a real technique and a real, um, you know, a real vibe and a real kind of art to it. And scoff or no scoff, we had, you know, 45,000 people in the Tokyo Dome uh, hanging on our every move. So um, whatever you want to call it, it worked and it was great and it did big business. And it was a, a real honor to kind of return to Japan and, uh, you know, put Winnipeg on the map. Two Winnipeggers fighting in Tokyo for the United States Championship doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? But it worked out. It was a lot of fun. And of course, Don Callis was there to provide the color commentary. Uh, another Winnipegger for good measure, just yeah. to just to really hammer it home. And in fact, uh, Callis brought it up at least twice. Different references to Winnipeg, so it was not shied away from in any way, shape, or form. Chris, you and I grew up grew up at the same time. Your dad grew up at Isaac Brock, as did I. We've got uh, some mutual friends in the community. I've always been a, a fan of yours. But what I couldn't believe, and please take this the right way, was the athleticism that you exhibited last week in that performance in Tokyo. Uh, I, I don't remember you ever pulling out all the stops the way you did. And at 47 years old, you kept up quite nicely with a much younger Kenny Omega. 
I think for that, I mean, all of that stuff, that's kind of a, a greatest hits of Jericho's career. If you go through, there's nothing in there that I hadn't done before. And it, it, it's, it's weird. A lot of people are caught up on the 47 years old thing. Everybody except for me. I, I guess sometimes I don't realize that that's, you know, how old I am. But <laughs> it was never a matter of keeping up or anything like that. It's, you, know, you don't keep up. I, you know, I'm Chris Jericho, so I set the tone and I set the, the style of the match. And I knew it was going to be great. And I, I kind of would laugh when I see people going, well, it's, uh, you know, Jericho's first New Japan-style match. and. 10 years and he's have to keep up with Omega and it's like that's all BS there's no keeping up with anybody it's just doing what I do once again there's a psychology and a mindset when you put together a match where you take people on a, on a, on a roller coaster ride the art form of it ooh there's that scoff word again um, there's not a lot of people on the planet that can do it the way that I do it so I know it's going to be good and I knew it wouldn't be you know kind of a, a, a race to, to go through everything even if it was it's like just because I don't wrestle full-time doesn't mean that I don't work out and don't do cardio and do, do all the things that are associated with being in the main event of the Tokyo Dome. I wasn't taking it lightly. So um, anybody that's surprised by the quality of the match obviously hasn't followed my career over the last 27 years. But um, like I said, I never expected that people would uh, enjoy the match as much as they did and calling it Jericho's best match ever and the best match of all time. And, match of the year already even though we're only you know one week into the 2018 so you know like i said to me the only uh barometer i have if it's a good match or a bad match is my own personal opinion um the only barometer i have of whether it's a successful match is how many people watched it how many tickets were sold and all the way across the board it was a success and the fact that everybody else is enjoying it as much is just a bonus for me well, Chris, I'm with with Greg and, and sort of echoing his sentiments that it was an excellent match. After uh, we were finished our show the morning of the match, one of our coworkers actually has a New Japan subscription, and he came out and said, "Oh, I put the match on in the uh, over by the Power 97 studio." So we we ran away and uh, we ended up postponing our post show <laughs> meeting so we could watch it, and it was it was excellent. I haven't watched wrestling for a few years, and it was just a tremendous display. And it's exciting to learn that the next day. Uh, I got a text from a buddy of mine who is a huge wrestling fan, and he says, Jericho surprised everyone and showed up in the follow-up show and attacked one of their top guys. So how much more stuff are you going to be doing with New Japan? Yeah, I can't seem to uh, stay out of trouble, that's for sure. Um, you know, uh, to, to me, like this whole thing, you mentioned Don Callis. Uh, he's the uh, color commentator for New Japan for the English service, English side of things. And he suggested the, the, the Omega match, and it was something that I never would have thought of. But once I kind of put my mind to it, I realized this is something really cool and something monumental and something different for me um, that kind of creatively would stimulate me. That's kind of what, all, what I'm all about. I could go back to the WWE tomorrow, and it would be a great thing, but I know kind of what I'd be doing and who they're working with. Working with Kenny was kind of an eye-opener. It was a whole other world of, of this seen in Japan, and then once again, I kind of started my career there. I've been there 53 times, but to go back there and see how much it's, 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 it's uh, yeah, grown has been is really huge, and to see kind of the impact that, that my influence had there. So I thought, well, why does this have to be a one and done? And why am I, you know, like, like any great horror movie, once the, the villain is vanquished, 
when they go to the credits. Something always happens. A hand comes out of the grave or his body disappears or his face is in the mirror. You don't know what's going on. You just know that there's something else could happen. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. I don't know what I'm going to do with New Japan. I don't have any deal in place or any contract signed. I just knew that I wanted to leave something other than just here's this great match with Jericho and Omega. It match ends. Jericho leaves. See you later. How about this is great match, match ends, and the next day Jericho attacks the next guy, and will I be back or will I not be back? That's for me to know and for anyone else to find out. But if I don't, it's still left off with a much better kind of a cliffhanger final uh, final victory lap rather than just being a one and done for sure. Chris, so we'll see. I'm, I'm working on it. Chris, thanks for this. Uh, I am Jericho on Twitter, one of the best podcasts around. Does not shy away from his Winnipeg roots in any way on that podcast. You got the CBC series uh, pending and all sorts of other uh, adventures, not to mention Fozzie uh, touring around the world. Uh, we appreciate your time as always, and uh, thanks for uh, being such a proud Winnipegger, Chris. Always, man. Go Jets. Go Omega. Go Don Callis. Jer- Jericho, DJ's pizza. Chris, before we let you go, uh, are you going to be appearing at all in WWE's uh, big January pay-per-view Royal Rumble? I won't be, man. We'll be over in uh, Europe uh, touring with Fozzie at that point in time. So that's something I can tell you for sure. Right on. Chris Jericho, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to speak with one of the greatest wrestling superstars of all time. And we don't say that because we're homers. We're not blowing smoke because he's a Winnipegger. As a wrestling fan, I can say with an educated opinion and authority that he is one of the best, period. He's one of the best ambassadors for the city of Winnipeg as well. That's a little bit of Fozzie uh, led by Chris Jericho and uh, their hit, Judas, on our way out. Mackling, he is Brett McGarry. If you're a parent, chances are you've received a notification about a, li- a lice outbreak at one point or another. For some parents, it's a yearly occurrence. So we thought it would be a good idea to have a lice expert on the show to tell us more about how to prevent and get rid of head lice. And we are joined by Sarah Phillips from something called Slice of Lice. Uh, Sarah, we got to start there. What is Slice of Lice? Uh, it's a professional lice service. So if you have lice, you come into my shop and I will get rid of it within a half hour to an hour. Sarah, I get the heebie-jeebies just <laughs> thinking of lice. Two 11-year-old boys, and, uh, you know, we've received the email over the years, and it just sends, sends shockwaves through the school, of course. Uh, yep. You mentioned in here uh, the idea of preventing lice in the first place. What What's the best strategy there? Is it to lock yourself in your house, or have you, you got something uh, less restrictive? Definitely less restrictive. The only, like, the most important thing you can be doing is weekly head checks on your child because lice is going to happen. It's always in the schools. It's it's everywhere. And the sleepovers, birthday parties, you know, everywhere your kids are, lice can be there. And it's head-to-head contact. So what I recommend with my clients and families is to get a good lice comb and do weekly head checks. 
and you just run that comb through their hair. And if you find a bug, then you've caught it before it's a problem. Now, Sarah, when I think of back when I was a kid some 30 years ago, I never had lice, and it was one of those things where it, it happened, but very rarely. It was yeah. kind of this unusual sort of odd thing that would happen. So what's caused it to become more of a problem in the last few decades? Well, the products that are sold over the counters, the chemicals and the pesticides, they just don't work anymore. The bugs are becoming completely resistant to it. And so what it takes to get rid of lice is a lot more than what it would have been back then. You you would just put the product on, it would kill the bugs, do it again in a week, and, you know, there you go, you're done. But now you've got to comb through the hair, pick out every knit, every bug, and if it's not done properly, you're sending them back to school with lice, which is just continually reinfecting everybody else. It's a cycle, and uh, obviously, yeah, so the the key is to interrupt that cycle, and it's just kind of frightening to me that you mentioned that these uh, little critters are evolving to the point where our typical treatments for it are becoming almost ineffective. That's that's a little bothersome, right? Yeah, it's completely ineffective. Oh, great. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) So, so how do people get in touch with you, Sarah, if they, if they uh, need your services or, or is it uh, worthwhile to get in touch with you uh, with regard to some more proactive actions like you were outlining? Education is the best key with, with life these days and getting rid of all the myths and just treating it properly. And if you do that initially, then you're way ahead of the game. So if you wanted to get a hold of me, um, it's I'm I'm on Facebook. There's Slice of Life Facebook group. Uh, my website uh, is sliceoflife.com. My phone number is eight nine zero seven four three seven, and you can call me anytime. And where's your shop? Oh, sorry, Brett. it's on thirty nine Saint Anne's Road. 39 St. Anne's Road. And I just yep. like, I just can't help but think that that denial is not a good idea in a situation like this, idea. but it's it is not. prevalent, I mean, right? This does yeah. happen. It happens. It's part of life and it's nothing to be feeling ashamed about too, which is so important. And you've got to tell people when you've ha- when you've had life and you, your child has life, you need to tell all their best friends so that they can be on top of it and they can check. It sucks, but you got to do it. So you mentioned that the, the, the typical over-the-counter stuff doesn't work. So how, how did you, uh, or how are you able to, to provide these products? Uh, like, does one need a prescription or something to come in to see you? No, you can just call and make an appointment. I actually don't use any chemicals. It's an all-natural service, and I just comb through and I pick everything out. And then you come back in a week for a follow-up visit to ensure that it's all gone. What do you, where do you put this stuff after you've picked it out? I flush it down the toilet. Okay, and have, did, <laughs> how do you protect yourself from getting lice? You no, know, they don't jump, they don't fly. So this is just proof that it's head-to-head contact. It's mm. not from objects. So I, you know, I keep my hair up and um, I check myself frequently, but rarely do I ever have a bug on me. Isn't that something? I, yeah. I, 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 I was relating uh, to someone in the newsroom just this morning about uh, the last time I was in New York, and you see the signs for the bed bugs uh, all the time. Oh, and I yeah. mean, I was itchy the entire time I was there, <laughs> and for a week after I got back. And I imagine there's people who are who are itchy right now just listening to us speak. Oh up. yeah, they're all scratching their heads. <laughs> One more time, the website, <laughs> if you wouldn't mind, Sarah. 
It's www.sliceoflife.com. Sarah Phillips from Slice of Life. Lice, thank you very much for this. Thank you for having me. Many of us have pledged to eat healthier for 2018. But it's hard to get on track when you don't know where to start. To give us some advice, we're joined by Greta Podleski, author of Yum and Yummer and co-author of The Looney Spoons Cookbooks with her sister, Janet. We welcome back to Mackling and McGarry, Janet Podleski, or Greta Podleski, sorry, Greta. Good morning, Greta. I don't know where I got Janet from. I, 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 my Good eyes, morning. My eyes straight away from my, well, Janet's your sister, that's why. Hey, uh, the, Happy New Year. And is this Happy a, is, New Year to you too? Is this is this a challenge for you as well? Uh, to eat more healthfully in the new year? Well, I'm a little bit obsessed with healthy eating and healthy cooking, but I always tell people that they have to remember, even you know, if they're making a resolution or just trying to change their habits in general, that healthy eating isn't all or nothing. So it's not every morsel of food that goes into your mouth that's important. It's what you do consistently over the long run that matters most most, and that pays off. So if you have that one high-fat, gut-busting, high-calorie, not-good-for-you meal or ate an entire pizza by yourself, enjoy it, forget about it, and get back on the track. Uh, for healthy eating the next day. It doesn't, there's no such thing as ruining your eating plan or people always say, I blew my diet. I don't really believe in that mentality. You know, we all slip up occasionally. And personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with devouring a pizza sometimes. I mean, you know, eating is, is very uh, pleasurable too. It's, it's not just for sustenance. And I think people have to enjoy food more and worry about it less. One of the things that I uh, have noticed this year, and it's not, it wasn't a resolution, it's more of just a byproduct of the, you know, getting out of the holidays is trying to get back to a, a normal eating schedule and maybe less snacking. And I find that it's the snacking that tends to be a very difficult habit to break. You just get used to kind of, you know, reaching into a bag for some kind of salty treat or maybe a pastry or whatever. <laughs> and now all that stuff is gone. So now I can kind of cut myself off from that. And I'm already noticing a difference in just how I feel and even how I look. I think we consume a lot of sugar over the holidays that we wouldn't normally consume. Um, but again, you know, it is, it is, that's an occasional indulgence. It's the holidays, they're over. Um, I worry a little bit about people that think that sugar should be part of their daily life. So they think that things like muffins and cookies are something that we should have every day. Um, I always think they're a, a treat. In fact, in Yum and Yummer, I have a chapter. It's called Sweets and Treats because I really want people to think of things like cookies and muffins and cakes. It's something that you make or bake occasionally. Um, and it's splurge-worthy then. You know, when you have something, like I said earlier about the pizza, uh, that's sweet, then you can enjoy it and not feel guilty about it. And, you know, I think with the new year, what people need to do um, if the resolution is to, let's say, cook more, eat more healthily, is you have to make some kind of a plan. You know, if you have time on the weekend or at night, think about what you want to eat this week. Do you have the ingredients? If not, then shop for them when you have the time. Because what happens is people drive home from work, it's 5 o'clock, they have no idea what they're having for dinner. And that's when they give in to temptation. They do order the pizza. They pick up takeout. They make something out of a package, a box, or a bag. You need the ingredients in your fridge and in your cupboards if you're going to make healthy dinner. 
Why do we do this all or nothing thing? It's a, a common, I think, a common symptom in, in so many aspects in our lives and a common attitude toward many things, Greta. This idea of binging and uh, mm-hmm. on the bad side, but also then on the other side of going on these cleanses and of these diets where they're going cold turkey and they're getting rid of everything that they normally no, eat and they're exchanging out their entire refrigerator for something new. That's just destined to fail, isn't it? Well, I always say that dieting is only wishful shrinking because it's a temporary solution to probably a bigger problem, and that is your eating habits that need a bit of an overhaul. But that overhaul doesn't have to be drastic. Even if you picked up one new healthy habit per week, and that new healthy habit every week could be learning how to make a new recipe. I certainly have a lot of recipes I could suggest to you. But a lot of people are telling me, and I like this transition we're seeing, instead of saying, uh, 2018, I, ha- I finally have to lose weight. They're saying, 2018, I finally have to start cooking more. I finally have to make a healthy eating plan. I finally have to start indulging in, in better foods instead of the cookies and the sweets and the treats all the time. And that, to me, sounds like something that's more doable than I have to lose 20 pounds. I think you're going to see the weight loss happen if you just make those small, gradual changes, which you can stick with and that are manageable, as opposed to what you just said, which is throwing out everything in your house that you think is making you overweight. What do you do if, you, like, if you, let's say, for example, all of the things that you eat, uh, at least the things that you enjoy to eat, are really bad for you? Like, for example, I'll use my diet. I, I try to eat healthy things throughout <laughs> the day for to fuel myself, but when I eat for pleasure, it tends to be not so good. So how do I convince myself or change my pattern so that something that is good for me is also uh, fun? I think probably what's happening is that you are associating healthy eating and the healthy options with um, not tasting good or not being as good as sort of the high-calorie, high-fat options. And that's really common for people to think that, well... You know, if I have the healthy recipe, then that's, you know, I'm not going to be satisfied. Or So what I've been trying to do, and I think I have been doing successfully for 20 years, is trying to, to convince people that healthy eating and healthy recipes can be as delicious as what you're used to eating. So, for example, I have a recipe, um, a new recipe called chicken pot pie chowder. It's like the ultimate winter comfort food. It's turning out to be one of the most popular recipes in Yum and Yummer so far. I'm getting a lot of feedback on it. Surprising to me, I love this soup, but I didn't know it was going to be kind of like the runaway hit. There isn't a meat and potatoes man in this country that isn't going to love that soup and say, okay, this is delicious. Oh, what? It's good for me too? This is a bonus then. And so I think it's just a matter of sort of converting your taste buds and believing that healthy food can be delicious. I happen to have your email address, so I'm going to be getting that recipe from you, Greta. The chicken (laughs) pot pie chowder, is that right? It's kind of like the filling of chicken pot pie, but in a soup form. Um, I, I've just had so much feedback on it. Like I said, I, I, it kind of surprised me. But I have been a soup maker my whole life. Um, learned from my mom. She came from Poland during the war and couldn't speak English when she got to Canada, so she couldn't follow English recipes. So she literally just had to wing it in the kitchen, and she ended up being an amazing soup maker. And so when I started cooking when I was five, seven years old, that's one of the first things I ever learned how to make. So 
when I write cookbooks, um, my soup chapter always seems to get um, the most feedback, which is kind of cool. Greta Podleski, she's the author of Yum and Yummer and co-author of the Looney Spoons cookbooks. Thank you, Greta. Always great to get time with you. Okay, happy new year. Happy new year to you as well. Well done. Behind the glass, Jerry. Taking us in and out of the breaks with outstanding music. Always apropos. Sometimes it's very subtle. I don't know how subtle it is in this particular point. You know why. It took me a second to make the connection, and then that's why I started giggling, because I realized our next guest is a big fan. That's right. That's Brett McGarry. I'm Greg Mackling. And waiting patiently on the line is the one, the only, the legend himself, uh, Bob Irving. We brought, or bringing Bob on to talk about Johnny Manziel. I'll get it out. Good morning, Bob. It's apropos you should play That Don't Impress Me Much by Shania because my guess is the Hamilton Tiger Cats aren't that impressed with Johnny Manziel's contract demands. I would suspect you're correct. Uh, the, yeah. the, I mean, the, the Tiger Cats have traded their, you know, quote-unquote marquee quarterback, the individual that they dubbed the future of the franchise when they made him the highest paid player in the Canadian Football League, I guess just about three years ago, Bob. They've yeah. now traded him to Saskatchewan. Uh, is it a matter of them having that much confidence in Jeremiah Mazzoli moving forward, or were they expecting that Johnny Manziel was going to sign the on-the-dotted line a, a contract to, to play for the Tiger Cats? Well, Greg, I think it's a, a combination of things. I, I think the Tiger Cats have lost faith a little bit in Zach Kolaris who had a tough, tough year in 2017. He's never really come back to what he was after that uh, devastating knee injury a couple of years ago. Saskatchewan obviously feels he's still a marquee quarterback because they're happy to have him. Then Mazzoli played so well toward the end of last year that the Ticats have re-signed him, and they've decided he's their number one quarterback going into 2018. But they'd love to have Johnny Manziel, uh, who is an intriguing prospect for sure. Now, the the question with Manziel is, will they be able to get him signed? And I guess we'll find that out in, in the next few weeks. So what Hamilton has done at the quarterback position is a, is a combination of things. And the coach of the Ticats, June Jones, is familiar with Manziel from his days in U.S. college. And, you know, again, Johnny football, as they call him, is uh, the kind of prospect you'd love to have in the CFL and, and see if he can become a star player and uh, an attraction that people would want to see. You know, that's something we won't know until he actually comes and plays, if he does come and play. Now, now Bob June Jones has proclaimed his belief that Johnny Manziel would become the best quarterback in the history of the Canadian Football League. Eric Burkhart, that's Manziel's agent, suggesting that he wants money that is equivalent to what Caleros was making, believed to be around $500,000. And I'm going to quote your tweet back to you. I don't like to do that, but I'm going to. Let me see if I've got this right. Johnny Manziel, who has been a train wreck, a loser and a pro football bust, gets a second, or is it his third, fourth, or fifth? chance from the CFL that his agent wants $500,000 a year, arrogant or clueless, probably both. <laughs> Bob, you were on a rage last night. What's, what, what's going on? Well, that's what I tweeted last night, and I stand by all of that. Uh, you know, Johnny Football has been a train wreck. He was a brilliant college player who came out of college with much fanfare. 
Uh, of course, he was a bust with the Cleveland Browns as the number one draft pick. He's had all sorts of problems with drugs and his behavior off the field. So whatever chance you want to call this that the CFL is giving him, a second, third, fourth, I don't know, whatever it is, it's an opportunity for him to kind of resurrect his career, which is on the rocks right now. Uh, and then his agent, and I've seen this before, Greg and Brett, where an agent, an American agent, really has no idea about the salary structure and how things work in the Canadian Football League and make some sort of outlandish statement uh, like Burkhardt has made that uh, he wants half a million dollars a year. And June Jones, what he said was just, you know, you kind of roll your eyes. Uh, you know, it's one of those over-the-top statements that somebody would make because he thinks that because a guy was a star in U.S. college football, he'll come up here and tear the CFL apart. I mean, those are the kind of ignorant statements we've all seen in the past and those of us who've been around the Canadian Football League a long time and appreciate what it is it's a really a top-notch brand of football uh, you know you just don't come up here and, and become a star overnight you've got to pay your dues and earn your stripes and all the rest of it and the Manziel camp obviously doesn't fully understand that and I guess neither does June Jones really so I, you know what I said was I think accurate. Certainly it's what I believe. Now, having said that, Greg, I'd love to see Manziel come up to the Canadian Football League. I think it'd be great. You know, I think back to Doug Flutie, and this guy has some of Doug Flutie's physical qualities, but man, he's got baggage that that he needs to clean up and prove to people that he's, he's changed and that he can, in fact, uh, you know, concentrate and focus on becoming a football star. Bob, did Hamilton overplay their hand by trading Zach before uh, beforehand by sort of pay? Like, did they create this situation wherein Manziel's team is making these outlandish demands? Yeah, I think to some degree, probably, Brett. But they they had to unload uh, Kalaris if they, in fact, were prepared to move in another direction. And clearly, they are. They think Mazzoli can be a good quarterback. Uh, Manziel intrigues them. And so you couldn't keep the salary of, of Kolaris if, in fact, you were going in that direction. So I think they did what really they had to do if they were going to move in the direction they've moved. Uh, I, my guess is they didn't anticipate Manziel's agent uh, doing what he's done. Now, maybe this is just a negotiating ploy. The old story is you shoot high and then see what you can settle for. Um, and perhaps they'll be able to work things out. But if Manziel's attitude and his agent's attitude is – you know, we'll just come up there and we'll rip the CFL apart for a couple of years, and then teams in the NFL will be lining up to sign us. I mean, if that's his attitude, man, that's just uh, that's really in the wrong place, and it's not going to get them anywhere. Now, I know you're kind of on uh, on vacation here, Bob. But did, were you up early enough to hear Matt Nichols on the program with us this yes. morning? Uh, yeah, I heard him. Yeah, I, I think Matt hit the nail right on the head. He, you know, everything he said, I I agree with. You've got to. You know, you've got to earn your your stripes. Uh, I don't care what your background is. And Manziel's background in football is exciting at the college level, but at the pro level, it's a strikeout. And his off-the-field behavior is is nothing but trouble. Uh, he's lucky he's getting another chance to, to show what he can do. And, you know, his attitude should be, hey, I'll go to the Canadian Football League and show them show them what I got, and then we'll see where that takes me. That should be his attitude, in my opinion. And that should be the attitude of his agent. So, again, maybe um, you know, maybe they're just negotiating, and we'll see how this all how this all plays out. But if Johnny Manziel is a changed guy, the actions of his agent at this point 
don't demonstrate that in my view. Let's uh, hear from Matt Nichols for those that missed it. I've been in the league for eight years now, and anyone that's basically trying to use the CFL as the, you know, come up, play, and go back to the NFL, I've never seen work out one time. You know, usually it's the guys that come up and embrace it, you know, ball out for a couple of years, can get another shot down there, but you can demand all you want. I'd be less worried about trying to get paid like a top-tier starter, more worried about even trying to see the field. Now, Vince Ferragamo came up here with much fanfare back, I think it was the 1980 season with the Montreal Alouettes. And you mentioned Doug Flutie, Bob, who did come up to the CFL, do incredible things, and go back to the NFL for a spell. Dieter Brock did the uh, similar thing. He he went down the Los Angeles Rams and, and was an all-pro in his first season, only lasted two or three years in the NFL before his knees gave up on him. I'm trying to think of anyone other than, you know, Joe, uh, Theismann and and maybe earlier than that of anybody that has kind of played the game the way Manziel or the way we believe Manziel is is trying to play it here and have it work out for them. You know, I could. There, there's a long list of quarterbacks who were outstanding at the U.S. college level and came to the CFL and did nothing. There's a long list, uh, and it would be you know it would be it would fill pages as a matter of fact. Now. Few of them had the credentials that Menzel had at the college level. He was sensational. And because he's a bit of a scrambler and all the rest of it, you know, there's this sort of prototypical view that he'd fit beautifully in the Canadian Football League. And maybe he would. Uh, And maybe we'll find out that that's what's going to come to pass. But he better have the right attitude. You know, Doug Flutie came up here with press clippings similar to this. But his approach was, I've done nothing to prove myself and I have to go up there and prove and he of course he did and had a sensational career in the CFL and then went back and had a a terrific career in the in the National Football League so you better have the right attitude you better have your head on the right way and indications are that for all what Johnny Manziel has said about wanting to kind of start over again and all the rest of his agent has has certainly muddied the waters in that regard so Again, it's going to be intriguing to see how this plays out. When they talk about other pro football options, which is what his agent said, if we can't reach an agreement with Hamilton, we have other options. I don't know what those options are because the NFL has turned its back on Johnny Manziel. Yeah, the XFL isn't back in business yet. No, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> the options wouldn't be that many from what I can see. Yeah, and the big difference between Manziel and Flutie, uh, I've never met Johnny Manziel, I'll just go based on the research, is that Doug Flutie was a great person, yeah. period. Yeah, he was. And look, Manziel deserves another chance. I'm one of these people who feels people deserve it. And the trouble he was in, the deep trouble, was like two years ago. Uh, so, yeah, the guy deserves another shot, but, uh, you know, if he's going to get that shot, he's going to have to have the right approach and the right attitude. All right, Bob Irving, thank you so much for joining us this morning on the Shadow Davis Show, 680 CJOB's Bob Irving, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thanks to Behind the Glass Jerry, Shanalee Vidal, I'm Brett McGarry, he's Greg Mackling. Thank you for listening to 680 CJOB. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.